Thank you for joining us on the MS and Sex Podcast. We affirm that people with multiple sclerosis are radically sexy simply by rejecting the negative messages that we get from our culture. On the podcast and in our classes, we learn how to improve the quality of our lives. And while we're at it, we inspire non-disabled folk too. So get ready. Don't flinch. The information provided on this podcast is for educational purposes and hopefully provides entertainment as well. Kara is definitely not a doctor or medical professional, so you always want to check with your healthcare practitioner if you need professional medical advice. We're all about consent and personal responsibility. This month, we are talking about how MS affects focus and cognition and how that ultimately affects your experience of sexuality and your sexual relationships. So, as you may or may not know, cognitive issues with MS are real. That's a, that's a thing. And I didn't know that when I was diagnosed. I remember right when I was getting the diagnosis and kind of just processing the shock of that, I didn't know anything about it. And I remember one person said, well, at least you'll always have your mind. And I just really breathed a sigh of relief. And I thought, yes, like whatever happens with my body, at least I'll have my mind. Little did I know that MS actually does affect cognitive uh, abilities. And it certainly has affected mine. Um, It took a while for that to really hit me or for me to realize how much it was hitting me. Um, but uh, it was, it's been very difficult for me as a sapiosexual. And a sapiosexual, if you didn't know, is someone who is really attracted by intelligence and turned on by intelligence because that's so important to me and my sexuality. Like I'm attracted to people that are smart and intelligent. And therefore, I like to think of myself as um being clever and being with it intellectually. But my struggles with cognitive issues have affected my confidence. They've really caused me to question my identity. It causes me anxiety. And all of this affects my sexual relationships with myself, with other people. So that's what we're talking about this month. Now, according to Dr. Frederick Foley, cognitive issues are a secondary effect of MS on sexual health, but I don't know. I'm, I, he's the doctor and the researcher. So of course that's how I teach it, that it's a secondary effect. But to me, um, the brain is like my biggest sex organ. And so when my brain isn't working right, it really, um, it seems to me kind of like a a primary effect of, uh, MS on, on my sexual health. But today, I'm going to explain a little bit about what's going on in our brains to cause that foggy, forgetful feeling or, you know, that sense that our brains are shorting out or just like that our brains are tired. I didn't realize how much my um, cognitive fatigue actually felt physical, like my brain gets tired, like my legs get tired. 
Um, so I'm going to explain kind of where that's coming from and how that happens as best I can. Then I'll talk about some things that we can do to keep our brains in shape and minimize these frustrating and, for me, devastating symptoms. So after today's episode, uh, you need to tune back in on the 15th, and I will release my interview with Dr. Ari Tuckman, who wrote ADHD After Dark. And this book is a guide for those who may have attention deficit issues that are affecting their sexual experiences and their relationships. So whether or not you actually have been diagnosed with ADHD or are just kind of feeling some of those symptoms, um, that interview with uh, Dr. Tuckman is just going to be fantastic for you. So let's get started. So we have all experienced physical fatigue, just that MS fatigue that makes you feel like you just can't get up or move or do anything. And um, what's what we're talking about today is when that happens in with our brain and our mind and our cognitive skills. Um, so I was really curious about kind of how that can be. You don't think about your brain being tired. So I did a little bit of research and I talked to some folks and I learned that the brain uses about 20% of the energy that we consume every day. So the calorie, the calories that you consume every day, 20% of that your brain uses. And adenosine triphosphate or ATP is the main source of energy. So um, charged ion part, the way that our brains fire impulses and get those messages uh, flowing from one neuron to another is through um, in part charged ion particles of calcium, potassium, and sodium that are constantly passing through cell, membrane, cell membranes so that neurons can fire their electrical impulses. And if you go into my website on my heading, I have this very cool video illustration of neurons firing, and it kind of gives you a visual representation of all that. So two-thirds of the brain's energy budget is used to help neurons send signals. And then one-third, the other one-third, is used for housekeeping. And housekeeping means maintaining a proper balance of these ions inside and outside of the cell walls. And if you don't have enough energy or um, ATP to you know, keep your brain clean or keep that housekeeping going, if it gets too imbalanced, the cells can swell, which can lead to strokes and other conditions. So what's going on with us when, we're, when we feel like we're struggling to focus or remember things could be that we don't have enough ATP for our cells to fire properly. Um, it could be MS plaques um, or damage to the nerve fibers, um, which cause the electrical impulses to slow or for our body just to have, to have to work harder to find another pathway, another way to get around that scarring. The third thing it could be is ADHD. And you'll hear a lot more about that in my interview with Dr. Ari Tuckman. The fourth thing that could cause that struggle with focus or thinking could be that our hippocampus is shrinking. And the hip, hippocampus is kind of in the middle back part of the brain. And uh, the shrinking of that part of our brain is caused by aging. It's also caused by long-term stress, 
It can be caused by depression, and depression can shrink the hippocampus up to 20%, which is a mind-boggling number. And finally, Alzheimer's can shrink the hippocampus. One study showed that MS patients have higher rates of kind of mean ADHD scores than the broader population. Although there's no correlation between the level of disability that you're experiencing and ADHD, one study found that there was a correlation between ADH scores and anxiety and depression in MS patients. All of this information kind of about what's going on in our brain and the difficulty uh, with thinking is a bummer, but it leads me to the section on solutions. So there are five things that you can do to improve cognition. And putting on a pair of heavy dark frame glasses is not one of them. They are uh, lowering stress, paying attention to nutrition, getting some exercise, getting some cognitive stimulation, and some socialization. So lowering stress is important because clinical studies have found that elevated cortisol was associated with poor overall cognitive functioning, as well as with poor episodic memory, executive functioning, language, spatial memory, processing speed, and social cognition. Now, cortisol is really a good thing. It's something that our, that evolution has given us as a tool for survival. In appropriate amounts, it uh, lowers inflammation and um, it just in general, it's a, it's a good tool for us to have. But like modern uh, humans often do, uh, we get into too much of a good thing. So the three ways that you can lower your stress are with mindfulness, meditation, and getting enough sleep. So mindfulness gets thrown around a lot these days, and it seems maybe cliche or maybe even too hard, but they're just some really simple exercises that you can do. Um, it can be a little bit hard or frustrating at first because we have to get our brains in shape, just like it's a muscle. So just try these one of these three things over the next week. If you're doing dishes, maybe one day, you're doing dishes by hand especially um, just pay attention try and quiet your mind you know let go of this thoughts as they uh, start trying to intrude and pay attention to the the sights sounds smells and sensations of uh, doing dishes you might be surprised at how pleasurable that is um, if you're getting out and moving about in the world at all whether that's walking or moving about in a in your wheelchair um just pay attention to your surroundings pay attention to the sensation of your feet on the ground or the sensation of your body in the chair and the vibrations that you feel as you, the wheels move across the ground pay attention to the sights sounds and smells around you and the sensations of uh, your clothes on your body, the wind in your hair, the wind blowing across your skin. All of that is just mindfulness and bringing your thoughts and your focus back to your body. If you're not getting out and about and moving in the world, you can do something like um, if you're putting on lotion after you've taken a bath or when you're about to get ready for bed, um, just take some lotion and put it in your hands and pay attention 
as you're rubbing that lotion on your body. I really love this one because there is an element, there can be an element of mindfulness. There can be an element of really self-care and self-love. You're taking care of yourself and taking care of your body. And um, it's, a, it's a good sensate focus exercise, which is something that uh, sex educators and sex therapists recommend that people do as a beginning to healing, you know, uh, sexual response issues. So it's a great exercise. Sensate focus is just bringing your focus back to your body. Feel the coolness of the lotion as you start putting it on your skin. Notice how it begins to warm up as you begin to rub that uh, lotion or that balm into your skin. How does it feel? Is it a rough texture? Is it a silky texture? Is it a sticky texture? How does it smell? And uh, just pay attention to all those details. So that those are some simple mindfulness exercises that you can do. The next one to lower stress, the next thing that you can do to lower stress might be meditation. And there's all kinds of apps out there. I actually will use the Calm app and I will do a little plug for them even though they're not paying me, anything, paying me anything just yet. But I like the Calm app a lot. They've got great meditations. They've got sleep stories. You can do that. You can take classes or you can do this very, very simple thing. It's just paying attention to your breath for a few moments. Just stop what you're doing for a couple of minutes. Um, find a comfortable place to be and pay attention to your breath. For example, a balancing box breath, which is really good for your mind and your focus. And a box breath just means kind of picture your breath in moving through in a square shape. So you breathe in and up for four counts. You hold that for four counts. Then you release for four counts. You hold that exhale for four counts. And then you start again, breathing in. So breathe in two, three, four, and hold, two, three, four, and exhale, two, three, four, and hold, two, three, four, and then start again, breathing in. So that's a simple meditation that you can do. That's a meditation and it just takes a little practice. As those thoughts start intruding, just let them go. Don't judge yourself. Don't make a big deal out of it. Just let them go. And by the way, the mindfulness exercises that we were talking about, dishes, walking, or putting lotion on, those are basically moving meditations. So the last thing that I talked about that we can do to lower our overall stress is getting enough sleep. So practicing mindfulness and practicing meditation um, will help with getting enough sleep, um, as will uh, a couple of the other things we're about to talk about, paying attention to nutrition and exercise. I am also a big proponent of having an orgasm before you go to sleep. And so studies show that promoting safe sexual activity before bed may offer a novel behavioral strategy for promoting sleep. So I will put a link to that study in the episode notes as well. 
but um, whether it's uh, masturbation or having an orgasm with your partner by through having sex or even mutual masturbation, that can really just help um, release some stress and increase some dopamine levels in your body. And dopamine is a lovely, relaxing hormone that our bodies produce that um, help us chill out. So those are a couple things that you can do to help with sleep. Um, and if you are consistently having issues and none of the little things that you're trying are helping, definitely talk to your doctor. So the third thing that we are going to talk about doing to lower your stress or is, is paying attention to nutrition. And because we were just talking about sleep, of course, you want to keep your caffeine intake to a reasonable amount and try not to you know, take in a whole lot of caffeine in the afternoon or evenings. Focusing on eating healthy fats like avocado or coconut, or one thing that I take every single day is evening primrose oil. And that's a really good fat for your brain. Um, I've had someone recommend an anti-inflammation diet, something like the Mediterranean diet. Um, in general, I'm not a fan of like hardcore dieting or restrictive diets, um, but I actually have been using the Noom app lately, which helps me realize uh, what I'm putting in my mouth and what I'm eating. And they have this great way of looking at food. They categorize food as red, yellow, or green foods. And red doesn't mean that it's bad. So a red food just means foods that are really dense with calories and possibly lower in nutrition. So it could be something like coffee creamer or red wine, which I enjoy very much or beef, or processed grains, or sugar. But red could also be something like cheese, or coconut oil, or other things that are good for you, but you just have to watch how much you take in. So there's no good food and bad food. You just have to pay attention to how much you take in. Um, then there's yellow foods, and those are things like whole grains, and yogurt, and chicken. And then there's green foods, which are, you know, fruits and vegetables and tofu, and I believe lentils was on the green list too. So it's really just focusing on eating foods that are higher in nutrition and uh, lower in calories, uh, like really mostly just really high in nutrition. Some researchers, uh, while I was reading about nutrition and MS and cognition, I read that some researchers have come up with one uh, diet called the MIND uh, which is a combination of the Mediterranean diet and the DASH diet, which stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. Um, so you can look into those, but in general, I'm not um, a huge fan of diets. I just really think being aware of what you're taking in is the most important thing. So the next thing that you can do to lower stress is to get some exercise. And when I did some reading about this, I mean, we all know that when we exercise and we get out and get our hearts pumping, we notice that we're a little bit less stressed, we feel more energy, and we sleep better. But when I read some details about exercise and cognition, I read that exercise has been shown to slow, stop, and even in some cases, reverse shrinkage of the hippocampus. That's like really exciting because as we talked about earlier, a shrinking hip hippocampus uh, really affects your uh, ability to think and remember things. So that's something we can, this is something we can do about it. 
and exercise can improve your brain's metabolism of energy. So with MS, as, as we all know, our brains kind of have some extra barriers to, um, to finding an efficient way to get those impulses moving through um, our central and peripheral nervous system. So we don't have, always have a whole lot of control over that, but what we can do is ease or eliminate some of the other barriers. So in one study, they put some accelerometers on some folks of excellent age, uh, around an average of about 64, and they measured their level of activity and how it affected cerebral glucose metabolism. I thought, I thought this was like very interesting, very exciting. So light activity, like slow walking, didn't really do much for um, affecting the cerebral glucose metabolism. It doesn't mean that slow walking isn't good for you in a lot of other ways, but it didn't really improve this particular thing that they were looking at. But moderate uh, exercise, like fast walking, increased metabolism throughout all the regions of the brain which I think is totally amazing. And then heavy exercise like running or something like uh, maybe calisthenics or uh, riding your bike, improve metabolism in the hippocampus specifically. So I thought that was really very interesting. Well, that's fascinating research and it's all well and good, but we cannot always run or walk or even get out of the house. But I heard about this YouTube channel called the MS Gym, and this is one thing you really might want to check out. I highly recommend it. He produces workout videos specifically for people with MS. I will put a link to his YouTube channel in the episode notes. The fourth thing that we're going to talk about to improve your cognition is just cognitive stimulation. And the two things that you need to keep in mind are keeping that stimulation challenging and novel. So challenging means something that takes some effort, not like, uh, you know, the mindless vertex, the game. I have this uh, New York Times app and it has games that I can play. And vertex is this really mindless one where you just kind of connect the dots. So that doesn't really count because that's not challenging. But they have another game called Spelling Bee, and that one is challenging for me. Or it was challenging for me to learn how to edit again when I started this podcast because it had been many, many years since I'd done any video or audio editing. So that was a real challenge for me and the software had changed. Um, or it, something like reading the research papers that helped me create accurate content for these uh, podcasts. All of that is really challenging for me. So everybody has something that um, is challenging to them and so find something that to uh, put your mind to that makes your brain a little bit tired. Then focusing on finding something that's novel. And that's something that you don't know, which could be learning a new language or taking a class in something that you don't know anything about. So just keep challenging your brain and keep learning new things. The fifth thing that I said that we would talk about to improve cognitive function is socialization. And there are so many benefits to that, that I'm not even going to go into all of them. But I did find in my reading that socialization um, increases vasopressin and oxytocin levels, which helps keep the hypothalamus healthy. And doing that improves deception detection, 
It also increases empathy and altruism. And just in general, it improves your ability to learn. Um, again, there's another uh, study that I will post in episode notes. Um, I know that it's a lot harder to get that socialization in during a pandemic, um, but do what you can. If you are someone who really cannot be around people because of a immune uh, suppressing medication that you're on, I am so sorry. I am on a medication like that as well. And so um, I understand that it's really hard. But if you don't want to get out and be around people or if you're not able to get out right now and you want a place to talk about MS, um, there are uh, social groups where you can do that. But if you want a place to talk about MS and sexual symptoms without any judgment and in a supportive atmosphere, you can come join our community. So go to our website at msexualhealth.com. That's msexualhealth.com. Com. And there will be a link at the very bottom of the page. Um, it's like it has a little link sub- symbol and you can click on that and that'll take you to our community. Or if you go to the page where for people with MS, um, you scroll down and there's a, a link a little bit farther down the page too. Okay, so I just covered a few of the reasons we might be feeling brain fog and other cognitive symptoms. And then I covered just a few simple things that we can do to keep our minds as sharp as possible. But you need to tune in on the 15th to learn what all of this has to do with your sexual health. I interviewed Dr. Ari Tuckman, who is the author of ADHD After Dark. We will discuss how cognitive issues, ADHD, and ADHD-like symptoms affect your relationship in and out of the bedroom. And then join us for the Q&A on the 20th. And those are always really fun. And you can bring your specific questions to him. So uh, if you don't mind, please, please, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. I hope to see you in our live Q&A or in our community or on the 8th of February. I have, I am offering a free short presentation on the um primary, secondary, and tertiary effects of MS on sexual health. It's just a short one, but it's packed with information. And if you go to my website, you can uh, find a link to that class on the People with MS page. If you scroll down to the middle of the page, um, there's a link for ongoing classes. So click that and you can reserve your spot. I will also put a link to that event in the episode notes. So thanks for joining us on the MS and Sex podcast, and I look forward to connecting with you next time.